Brother Dunlop, you come, would you please? Thank you, sir. It has been a blessing to be with us, be with you this past weekend. Elma and I have thoroughly, thoroughly enjoyed it. There's a lot of friendly people here. There's also just a good spirit, a spirit of excitement and anticipation. Don't ever lose that, amen? We travel across the country. We're in dozens of churches each year and, and camps and various venues. And, and sometimes you walk in and people just sit there and look at you and there's no spirit there and there's just a, an apathy and just kind of a deadness. And people are like, well, I have to be here kind of attitude. Thank God for what you have here. Amen. Pray for each other's brothers and sisters in the Lord. You're a family here. Pray for your pastor, the ministry here. Uh, God is just doing some special things here, and we've, we've just thoroughly enjoyed being here. I don't know about you, but Sunday night was always my favorite night of the week, of the, ser- the favorite service of the week. I love Sunday morning. I love Wednesday night. But just something about Sunday night, it always seems like it's just family and you're close, and I love Sunday night service. So we've, we've had a good time here this week, and I've been looking forward to tonight. Can we have a little fun together just for a few minutes? Is that okay? Okay. I thought I'd start by uh, giving you the test, and I hope you studied, okay? Now, this is, this is not an open book test, but it is an open mouth test. When you know the answer, just blurt it out. If you're sitting beside a blonde person, please help them, okay? Just lean over and answer for them if you need to. But feel free, feel free, just if you would, when it's audience participation here, just blurt out the answers as we come to them. Some of them may be very, very obvious to you, but don't feel, you know, don't feel anything bad at that. We're doing this because there's, you have to lower the, lower the bar. There are some blondes here in the audience. So some of the answers will be very, very, very uh, obvious to you, okay? Question number one, how long did the Hundred Years' War last? Okay, very good, very good, okay? Number two, which country makes Panama hats? Okay, thank you, thank you, okay. Number three, in which month do the Russians celebrate the October Revolution? Okay, very good. Number four, uh, for which animal do we get cat gut? Okay, number five, what is a camel's hair brush made of? Okay, number six, uh, which, the Canary Islands of the Pacific are named after which animal? Okay, number seven, what was King George VI first name? By the way, his first name was not King, okay? What was his first name? Okay, number eight, what color is a purple finch? Okay, number nine, uh, where are Chinese gooseberries from? And then number ten, what is the color of the black box in the commercial airplane? Okay, very good. Now, how many of you scored a, a perfect hundred? How many say, I'm afraid I might have failed? How many at least you, you, at least you passed? Okay, let's go back through, grade your own paper, keep your own score, and we'll see how you did. Okay, number one, how long did the hundred year award last? Well, actually it was 116 years. Number two, which country makes Panama hats? It ain't Panama, it is actually Ecuador, okay? <laughs> Number three, in which month do the Russians celebrate the October Revolution? It's not October, for some reason they celebrate it in uh, November, figure that one out, okay? <laughs> Number four, from which animal do we get cat gut? It's not a cat, it's horses or sheep, okay? Number five, uh, what is the camel's hair brush made of? It's not made of camel's hair, it's made of squirrel fur. Number six, number six, Canary Islands in the Pacific are named after what animal? They're actually named after dogs. Okay, figure that one out. Number seven, what was King George VI's first name? His name was not George. His name was, you're not ready for this, Albert. Okay. Number eight, what color is a purple finch? It actually is crimson. Number nine, uh, where are Chinese gooseberries from? They're from New Zealand. And number ten, what color is a black box? It's actually orange. You got it. You got one, sir. Okay? It is one. Anybody here pass? Anybody here score a perfect hundred? You're lying, sir. Uh, anybody fail? Yeah, that was me too. First time I saw this, I thought, how obvious, but sometimes, well, you, got, you saw how we went. Let's take a couple minutes, if you don't mind, and just, uh, sh- I've had a number of people ask if Andy can come out tonight, so rather than disappoint you, let's get Andy out, Okay. Woo!
I usually have a little table that Andy sit on. We were experimenting with a microphone stand this morning. It didn't work, so we're going to try to see if we can stay enough on this, but I think it'll work. Ready? Uh-huh. Somebody stole my shoe. It just fell off. It just fell off, okay? It just fell off. Ladies, settle down. <laughs> if you're glad to be here tonight, say amen. amen. Well, look there, the old man came back. <laughs> Please not call Pastor the old man. The old geezer, don't call him that either. That old dinosaur, Andy, come on. <laughs> that old Zeratol addict, Andy. <laughs> Pastor, can I ask you a question? Which side did you fight on in the Civil War? Pastor did not fight in the Civil War. Was he too old? No, no. Leave Pastor alone. Sing your song, please. Who's that lady back there in the red? Oh, that's Pastor's wife. Can I talk to her? You better ask Pastor. Can I talk to her? Why not? Hi, lady. What's your name? How old are you? Andy, Andy. <laughs> when you're talking to a lady, don't ask her how old she is. That's time to make conversation. We make conversation, but don't ask a lady how old she is. Why not? Well, actually, I don't know why not, okay? But ladies, just don't talk about that. Talk about something else. Hi, lady. How much do you weigh? Andy. <laughs> Perhaps you should talk to somebody else. You listen real closely as Andy does a song for us. Let's do a story. A story? Uh-huh. Okay, we can do a story. What story do you want to do? My favorite. What's your favorite story? David and Goliath. Okay, we'll do the story of David and Goliath. Can I be David? You be David? Uh-huh. Why should I let you be David? Because I'm strong and courageous and good-looking. <laughs> Don't laugh, kid. You ought to see your face. Andy. Behave <laughs> yourself. Okay, we'll do the story of David and Goliath, and Andy's going to be David. Can I do sound effects? Sound effects? Uh-huh. Yeah, I guess. Just don't overdo it. Once upon a time, this young man by the name of David, that's going to be me, or you be David, one afternoon, Dave was on the hillside watching a flock of his father's sheep. <laughs> what are you doing? Sound of hicks. David's father came out and called for him. David! Whoa. <laughs> what was that? Sound of hicks. Oh, thank you. David's father, or David came running to see what his father wanted. Sound of hicks. David said, yes, Dad. Yes, Dad. David's father said, son, take the food to your brother's. David's older brothers were in the army of Israel. About that time, the army of Israel was fighting the army of the Philistines. So David took some food, Twinkies, not Twinkies, uh, bread, corn, and cheese, I believe, went down to see his brothers at the battlefield. When he got to the battlefield, he saw something really shocking. Who, you? No. <laughs> he saw a giant, a real, live giant. And the giant said, thee, thumb, foe, thigh. Wrong giant. Wrong giant, okay? The giant said, ho, 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 I'm the jolly green Philistine. Wrong giant. He says, send me a man. Yeah. And we'll fight. Yeah. And if I beat him, yeah. What are you doing? Yeah. Would you please quit? Yeah. And if I beat him, you already said that. If I beat him, you sound like a broken record. If I beat him, the Israelites will serve the Philistines. But if he beats me, the Philistines will serve the Israelites. What do the Israelites do? Well, the Israelites didn't do anything because they were scared to death. Chickens. And they were chickens. But David went to King Saul's tent. He said, oh, king, oh, king, there's a giant out there. There's a giant out there. And somebody needs to fight the giant. Somebody needs to fight the giant. And so I'll fight the giant. And so I'll do what? 
David fights the giant. I'm not going to fight no giant. <laughs> David fights the giant. He's big. I know he's big. He's strong. I know he's strong. You smelled him too, huh? <laughs> David fights a giant. David went to King Saul's tent. He said, oh, king, oh, king, there's a giant out there. There's a giant out there. And somebody needs to fight the giant. Somebody needs to fight the giant. And so I'll fight the giant. Good. I'll watch you. <laughs> no. Not me, not me. David. David went down in the creek and he got five smooth stones. Oh, great. Going to throw rocks at this guy. What if I remember David was an expert with a sling and a stone? Oh, yeah. So David goes walking the battlefield carrying just a sling and five stones. Now, folks, he's facing a guy who's nearly 10 feet tall. Okay? Nine feet nine, approximately. Goliath probably weighed around 800 pounds. His body armor alone weighed 160. He's armed. He's a man of war. And here's this young guy, David, carrying five stones and a sling. Impossible, amen? He goes walking the battlefield. The Bible says that Goliath cursed, cursed David by his gods. Uh-oh. It was a... Oh, and David said, stop that cussing, turkey. I'll cut your head off. <laughs> no, he did not. He said, the battle is the Lord's. David put a stone in the sling, and swing it around and around and around. He released the stone. The stone went flying through the air, and it struck Goliath right in the forehead. <laughs> Sound effects. Thank you. Goliath fell to the earth with a loud crash, and he just lay there. Was he dead? No. He's just stoned. <laughs> Come on, Andy. Hey, Pastor. You, you like Goliath said when he's down? I've fallen and I can't get up. <laughs> Goliath didn't say anything. David went on the battlefield, he took Goliath's sword, I took Goliath's sword, raised it high in the air, raised it high in the air, brought it down, brought it down, and he cut Goliath's head off. And I cut, ooh, yuck. <laughs> ooh, yuck. The Philistines were running for their lives, and they were screaming, ooh, yuck. No, they weren't. <laughs> and who won the battle that day? Wasn't David. Sure wasn't Goliath. It was Almighty God, wasn't it? And it is a very special lesson. Tell the young people real quickly, what's the lesson when you learn from that story? I don't know. Well, stop and think what happened. Very special lesson there. Come on. Oh, yeah, yeah. Don't throw rocks at Thethol. <laughs> That's not the lesson. Try again. Do throw rocks at Thethol. No, no. <laughs> That's not the lesson. The lesson is that God can use young people. Amen? Amen. David's not a soldier. Not even old enough to be in the army of Israel, but he trusted God, and God used him. God can use young people. Amen? And he sing a song real quickly. I have to wrap this up real fast. And uh, sing a song if you would. Can I choose a volunteer? You can choose a volunteer. If you'd like to sing with Andy, just raise your hand real quietly. Let's choose a quiet person. Not to you, lady. <laughs> and uh, I think we're out of time here. Maybe next time we can sing your song, okay? And would you tell Andy goodnight, please? I ain't going to go. I think you are going to go. Say goodnight. Say goodnight. I have an idea. You have a what? An idea? Well, you're not supposed to have an idea unless I have it first, but let's go for it. What's the idea? Put the, let's put the Dean in the suitcase. <laughs> All in favor, say aye. aye. Get in, sir. We voted. It's not Dean's turn, it's your turn. Would you tell Andy goodbye, please? Bye. I ain't going to go. I think you are. Granny, help me. He's killing me. That's enough, Andy. Thank you. Let's stand together, if you would, please. Living for Jesus, a life that is true. Striving to please Him in all that I do. Yielding allegiance, glad-hearted and free. 
This is the pathway of blessing for me. O Jesus, Lord and Savior, I give myself to Thee. For Thou in Thy atonement didst give Thyself for me. I own no other master, my heart shall be Thy throne. My life I give henceforth to live. O Christ, for Thee alone. While you're standing, please take your Bible. Go to Ephesians chapter 4, if you would please. A very familiar passage, a very familiar verse. Ephesians chapter 4, if you would please. Look at the very last verse, very familiar verse. Read it with me, if you would please. Together. And be ye kind one to another tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. A very important verse. Read it with me a second time, if you would. Together. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Thank you. Would you be seated, please? I'm going to ask you just right now just to bow your head, bow your heart before the Lord. And again, open your heart to the voice of the Holy Spirit. Ask God to speak to your heart. Ask God to help you be a doer of the Word and not a hearer only. Lord, it is such a blessed privilege for me and for Elma to be here this weekend with this church, these people, this pastor. The Lord has been a blessing to us. We thank you for the opportunity to be here. Lord, I thank you for the opportunity to stand here and preach. Again, Lord, I acknowledge that without you I can do nothing. And I simply ask that you'd fill me, speak through me tonight. Lord God, help us to listen and help us to obey your voice. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Some of you men perhaps missed Valentine's Day a few days ago, and I shouldn't bring this up. But uh, let me give you a chance to redeem yourself. Here's a, here's a gift that you can give that's always well received. If it's given in the right spirit, uh, no matter who the recipient is, young or old, male or female, it doesn't really matter. When you give this gift, it's a gift that will be appreciated and received and used. It's a gift that will never be returned. What I'm suggesting for everybody is to give your family a bucket of KFC. And you may say, my wife doesn't even like fried chicken. We're not talking about fried chicken. We're talking about KFC, the KFC that we find in our, in our key verse tonight, Ephesians 4.32. Look at the verse again. Let's read the verse one more time, if you would please. Together. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Ephesians 4.32. As we go to the verse, you're going to see the three things there. What would the K stand for? Kindness, very good. And be ye kind one to another. As children of God in a lost world, we represent Jesus Christ, amen? When you stop and think about it, folks as believers, followers of Jesus, there's never a reason for any of us to be unkind to anybody. In fact, you and I as believers ought to be characterized by kindness. The world ought to know that we're believers just by the kindness that we represent, that we radiate from our lives. We ought to represent Jesus Christ, if nothing else, by the kindness that we show. And kindness costs nothing, but it can pay huge, huge dividends. Evangelist Steve Pickett flew into town one day and landed in an airport, went out to the car rental agency, and he found that he was number 20, a line of 19 people in front of him at the car rental agency, and 19 very, very irate people because, because of some mistake in ordering. The car rental agency had no cars to rent. 
And here's 19 very, very irate people ahead of line, ahead of Steve. One man was so furious, he's actually leaning across the counter and screaming profanities at the clerks, the two clerks behind the counter. Steve heard one, counter, one clerk turn to the other and say, man, I could go for a cup of coffee right about now, couldn't you? Steve thought, hey, why not? He left the rental agency, went down the jetway there, or down the concourse there, and found a vendor, got a cup of coffee, brought it back, got the attention of the man behind the counter, motioned him over, and the man came over, and Steve said, here's your cup of coffee. The clerk said, what is this all about? And Steve said, well, I heard you say you could use a cup of coffee. Here it is, sir. The man said, you're kidding. Steve said, no, it's a gift. A couple of minutes later, the clerk stepped at the far end of the counter, motioned Steve over. He said, sir, don't dare to say this in front of all the other customers, but we do have one car left. I'd like to make that available to you. He said, by the way, I'll charge you for an economy car, but do you mind driving a, a Jaguar? <laughs> Not a bad payoff for a little bit of kindness, amen? Sometimes the payoff can be even greater. I've got a friend in, in Hot Springs, Arkansas, Little Rock, Arkansas, rather. His name is Rick Erickson. He's a youth director. And a number of years ago, he was in the church van with a group of teenagers. They're on the freeway at 2.30 in the morning. I'm assuming they're on a missions trip. But approximately 2.30 in the morning, one of the van tires began to separate on the freeway. The tread is actually coming off that tire. Rick immediately slowed down, pulled to the side of the freeway, limps along the freeway until he comes to the exit, gets off the exit, finds himself in a little town, of course, dark, sound asleep. It's a little past 2.30 in the morning. But he found a tire store. Pulled in the parking lot from the, vans, the vans, lights in the van. He saw a little placard in the front window or on the front door saying, in case of emergency, call this number. It's about 2.45 in the morning. But Steve dials this number, or Rick dials this number, gets this man out of bed, and he explains the situation. The man said, give me five minutes, sir, I'll be right there, no problem. Five minutes later, it's 2.45 in the morning approximately, this man pulls in, unlocks the door. The first thing he did, he called all the teenagers in, took them into the waiting room, opened the vending machines, got them each a snack and a, and a drink, just, grat just gave them to a free, and then deals with the tire. Now here's a man who's not going to sell a set of tires. He's going to take off the tire. You put on a new tire, send the damaged tire back to the manufacturer, probably get a refund for that. I don't think he's making a dime off it. But at 2.45 in the morning, he was so gracious, so kind to, the, to these teenagers and to Rick. Rick was so impressed by the man that he wrote a letter to the parent company, Firestone or Dunlop or Goodyear or whoever, and just briefly told the story. Two months later, that man called Rick and said, Sir, thank you for your letter. Based on your letter alone, they made me dealer of the year. Brand new car and a brand new bass boat. Not a bad payoff for a little bit of kindness, Amen. When Rick told me this story, I said, hallelujah, a guy like that deserves a new car and a new bass boat. You've dealt with people. You walk in to buy a set of tires at four in the afternoon. You're going to buy a whole set of tires and they act like you're a bother being there in their way. You've been there, haven't you? What a change. This man just radiates kindness. What a payoff. I'm saying this. As believers, we had to radiate kindness to people with whom we come in contact. Amen. Years ago, several years ago, I was with a pastor in another state, and on Sunday evening we went out to eat after service. I think we went to Applebee's. And you've been to Applebee's. You walk to the front door. You look up. Here's a couple approaching from the other door. If you just step a little bit faster, meet them, to the, meet them to the door, you save yourself maybe 10 minutes waiting in line. Amen? Don't look at me that way. You've done it too. Okay? <laughs> well, this pastor's tall. He's about six foot four, and sure enough, he outstrode those other people. We got to the front door, grabs the door, opens it up, and he said, folks, go, after us, or go ahead of us, please. And they stopped and kind of looked at him and said, no, you were here first. He said, that's not a problem. We're not that hungry, not in a hurry. I said, yes, we are. I just, I just preached. No, I didn't say that. But he insisted that they go ahead of him. And they were kind of amazed that he would do that. But I saw that man again and again and again and again show little acts of kindness to total strangers when we were out in public. 
We'd be eating at the restaurant, and total strangers come over to our table and start talking with this man just because he, he just irradiated kindness. And on Wednesday, after watching this for several days, I prayed and said, Lord, would you help me to show kindness in that way? And then came Thursday. Thursday, I think we've been out visiting, and we've pulled in the parking lot in the passenger's vehicle, and we're crossing the parking lot. Here came his wife in another vehicle, so they crossed the parking lot, stopped, rolled down their windows, had about a 20-second exchange there, and then moved on. This pastor, who's so gracious and so kind and radiates kindness to total strangers, when talking with his own wife, was cold and abrupt and actually mean. And I watched that and I thought, if I could only show kindness to one person in this entire world, can you guess who that one person would be? That little lady sitting in the front row. I want to challenge you tonight. You're a believer. You're a child of God. Ask God to so fill you with the Holy Spirit that He, through you, would show kindness to every person with whom you come in contact. But I want to challenge you men tonight to, to ask God to help you especially show kindness to your brothers and sisters here in the church family. But then in the evening, saving the, the kindest words of the day and the kindest thoughts and the kindest actions of the day for the evening when you get home and you see your own family. And then in particular, saving the kindest words of the day for that one special lady, your wife. Would you take that as a challenge? We live in a wicked world. We live in a mean world. and People are vicious. You watch the way people drive. People deliberately cut you off just to, just to be mean. We're living in a mean world. We as believers ought to be known by kindness, shouldn't we? So the K stands for what? Say it with me. Kindness. I'm hoping that every time you drive up by a KFC, you remember this message and, and think about what we talked about tonight. What would the F stand for? Read the verse with me again, if you would, please. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. Ephesians 4, 32. So the K would stand for kindness. The F would stand for forgiveness. That was easy, wasn't it? It is so easy sometimes to forgive somebody who's done something and it's not intentional. We've all been hurt in the past, haven't we? When that hurt, when that slight, when that injury is unintentional, then it's very easy to forgive, isn't it, typically? Years ago, when my daughter Rebecca was five years old, that'd be 27 years ago, I was getting ready for bed early. She was out in the kitchen just going over some last-minute homework with her mom. And I went in and got ready for bed, got, got undressed, went over. And as I flipped off the light switch, turned off the lights in the bedroom, I felt a flash of excruciating pain in my heel and then nothing. I thought, that was strange. I turned the light on, looked, lifted my heel and looked. There was a tiny hole in my heel. And coming out of that hole were two white threads. My wife Janice was a seamstress. She apparently had lost a needle. I apparently had found it. <laughs> well, I got dressed again, went out in the kitchen, and said, sweetheart, did you, did you lose a needle? She said, what? I said, check this out. When I lifted my heel, she saw the thread. She said, oh, sweetheart. I said, hey, it doesn't hurt a bit. I, I can't even feel it in there. Now, I hope you're not squeamish, but as it went in, it actually went in backwards, snapped in half, and, and bared itself. But once it was buried, I could not even feel the thing. Now, we're the kind of people, we don't go to doctors unless we're dying, and I was not dying that night. And so I just sat on the kitchen table there at, at the table and began to pull on the thread and exert some pressure and bring that needle back out. And that's when the excruciating pain started all over again. But it came out, out, out fine, and no, no pieces were left. I got up both pieces, and things were fine. You know something that was very, very easy to forgive, Janice? Because that was an accident, right? When that hurt, that injury, that slight is intentional... It's a whole different story, isn't it? When I was dating Janice, I discovered that her father, 
my future father-in-law, was one of the meanest men I've ever met in my life. After work at the church, I'd go over and drive across to Scottsdale, Scottsdale, drive her to their house and have dinner. And all through dinner, he would just pick at her, pick at her, pick at his wife. Just the, the, the potatoes were lumpy. The gravy was tasteless. The meat was burned. And no matter what it was, it was wrong. And it was just nothing was ever done right. And he just picked and picked and picked. And you ladies can imagine what happens, can't you? Resentment begins to build. And after a while, uh, boy, there's some strain there. And imagine holding every, tensing every muscle in your body and holding it for a while. After a while, you're going to start to hurt, aren't you? And that's exactly what happened to my mother-in-law. She began to develop some pain that you could not believe. And God, in His grace, showed my father-in-law, I think, what had happened. And that man did an amazing and about face and changed and just did a 180 and went to her and begged her forgiveness and repented and changed. Not just for a week or two, but for months and for years. He began to treat her like a queen and could not do enough for her. But apparently it's too little or too late. She could not forgive. They began to go to one specialist after another after another, seeking relief from that horrible pain. And I'm estimating they probably spent the price of two houses. They spent a fortune on doctors. And there was no relief. I was in Phoenix one day, and Mom and I were walking down the street, just two of us. She said, Ed, would you help me get a gun? I looked at her and said, Mom, that is not the answer. You have got to forgive. Dad is repentant. He's changed. He's treating you like a queen. He can't do enough for you. He loves you. He's showing you that you have got to forgive. She said, I have already tried, and I cannot. I said, Mom, you have to. And a few weeks after that, about 2.30 in the morning, she quietly went to the side yard where they lived and ended her own life because she would not forgive. Do you know the doctors and medical researchers are telling us that over the half of the instances of lower back pain they see among Americans are there because of resentment and, and hostility and refusing to forgive? They're telling us that a huge number, a huge percentage of the cardiovascular diseases they're dealing with and heart attacks and hypertension, all these things that are killing Americans right and left, that uh, even the majority of those cases are because we as Americans refuse to forgive. When you hold a grudge against somebody, I'm going to even get even with her if it's the last thing I do. It may very well be the last thing you do. Because when you hold a grudge, it's like drinking poison and hoping the poison is going to hurt the other person. No, you're going to destroy yourself in the process. As we talk about forgiveness, is there a particular name or a particular face that comes up in front of you? Is there something that you cannot forgive? You see, in this verse, we're commanded to forgive. You say, Brother Ed, you don't know what he did. You don't know what she said to me. It was an intentional hurt. We're commanded to forgive. One of my kids was molested by a cute little girl from church. How do you forgive that? Yeah, we're commanded to, aren't we? If there's a person that you cannot forgive, I beg you to realize why, why we're commanded to forgive. Look at the verse again. And be kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. Why or how? Even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. There is not a single person on the face of this planet that I cannot forgive because I have been forgiven.
And I want you, if there's somebody here tonight that you, you, you hold that hostility within your heart, and I, I tried, Brother Ed, I just can't. I just can't. I really tried. I can't. Then I beg you to go to Calvary and see the price that Jesus paid for your forgiveness. Pontius Pilate released Jesus to the soldiers who took Jesus around behind the hall of judgment, then tied his hands, removed the robe from off his back, was back completely bare, then chained his body over the top of a whipping post or to a chain hanging high overhead. Either way, it drew the flesh on his back very, very tight. A Roman soldier came with an instrument of cruelty known as the flagrum, sometimes called the cat of nine tails. A vicious, vicious, horribly designed whip with nine straps of leather. When you struck somebody with that one whip, you were striking them nine times. It was far worse than that. At various places in those leather lashes had been fastened little heavy chunks or balls or bars of lead. As you can imagine, the welts leave welts, the, the lashes leave welts across a person's back. Those little chunks of leather come flying around tremendous force and leave bruises wherever they struck. But it was worse than that. And then each last was a little sharp piece of lead or flint or even bone, which had been honed nearly as sharp as razor blades. As that soldier brought that whip down across the back of Jesus with all his strength, the lashes left welts, the chunks of lead left bruises. But as the soldier jerked back with all his strength, those, the lashes wrapped themselves across Jesus' side, and those nine sharp pieces slashed his body open like nine razor blades. And it wasn't just once. He brought that down again repeatedly, time after time after time. And every time he jerked that whip back, he was cutting Jesus back open nine more places. We believe he brought that that whip down, that cat of nine tails down, 39 separate times. Multiply 39 times nine, the number of sharp pieces in the whip, you find that the body of Jesus was cut open 351 different times. It was so horrible that Flavius Josephus said this, the flagrant was so cruel, I'm quoting Josephus. The flagrant was so cruel and tore away so much flesh. By the time the scourging was complete, quite possibly, you could view Jesus' lungs through his back. What are unseeming you even visualize? But that's the price that Jesus paid that I might be forgiven. They finished the scourging, the horrible whip was thrown to the floor, and as they're unfastening Jesus' hands, a soldier stepped forward and said, he's a king, he deserves a, a, a robe, put a purple robe on him. And they brought a scarlet robe and wrapped it around Jesus' shoulders just to mock him and make fun of him. Another soldier said, if he's the king, then he deserves a crown. And a crown had been prepared, a crown of thorns. Some of you saw that yesterday. They took that crown of thorns, two and a half or three inch thorns, wrapped that crown of thorns around his head. A soldier brought a reed, a heavy stick, and a beat on that crown to drive those thorns into Jesus' skull. The pain that resulted would be excruciating, indescribable. They brought a blindfold, and here's the creation. Human beings, wrapping a blindfold around the eyes of Jesus, and then stepping forward and slapping Jesus in the face. Mankind hitting God in the face, and then cursing and saying, tell me, Jesus, who hits you? Mocking him and mocking him and mocking him. The blindfold was removed. The Bible tells us the soldiers walked up to Jesus and ripped the beard from the sides of his face. Imagine these men of war wrapping their fingers through his beard and just twisting and twisting until they're pulling the hair up from the sides of his face. Again, horrible pain results. They begin to buffet him. These men of war take their fists, begin to pound Jesus in the face relentlessly with their bare knuckles again and again and again until Isaiah 52 tells us that his visage was marred more than any other man. Jesus was humiliated. He was beaten so brutally. When they finished, he really did not even look like a human being any longer. And then, after standing before Pilate again, he goes to Calvary. 
They step, take Jesus around behind the hall of judgment. The soldier reaches up and rip that scarlet robe from off his back. That robe has been on his back long enough. It is now clotted and formed to his back. When they rip it away, they rip those wounds open all over again, and the bleeding starts again. His own robe is put on him. They lead Jesus over where a long wooden pole is laying on the ground, 12, 15, maybe 16 feet long. Many times a shorter pole would, criss, would cross it at perpendicular, uh, a Roman cross. Historians tell us that cross was quite heavy, would typically weigh 280 to 300 pounds. Several men lift that cross and lay it across the back of Jesus. Jesus struggles to drag that cross down the street, and because of the tremendous amount of weight and the amount of blood he's already lost, perhaps he's stumbling and falling, they compel another man named Simon to come. And together, Simon and Jesus drag the cross down the street of Jerusalem, out through the city gates, and up to the top of a nearby hill known as Calvary. I love the word Calvary, don't you? What a blessed place. Where God proved once and for all to me and to you just how deep his love for us really runs. The cross is laid upon the ground. Jesus is in physical agony already. He's been, he's been brutalized. But he willingly lays upon the cross and stretches out his hands. He chooses to die. John chapter 10 tells me that he laid down his life for me. It was his choice and he chose to die that I might be forgiven. A Roman soldier comes. He's carrying a heavy mallet, heavy iron hammer. Three, maybe four, ugly iron spikes, eight to nine inches long. Perhaps some of you saw the replica of a Roman spike yesterday. That was a very accurate replica of the spike that was used on Jesus. The spikes, I should say. That soldier places the first spike is the inside of Jesus' wrist, right about here. Not the palm like we see in the picture, but the middle of the, of the wrist. He raises that mallet and actually drives that spike completely through Jesus' wrist, not the backside. And as he does, he pierces what we call the median nerve, running through the center of the wrist. Once that iron spike penetrates that nerve, excruciating pain like we could not imagine begins to course through Jesus' body. A second spike goes through his other wrist and then spikes through his feet. That cross is raised to a vertical position. And at that point, the full weight of Jesus' body suddenly goes against those four spikes. And the pain is unrelenting. Jesus is now hanging on the cross Bottom of the cross is placed in the post hole, and it's, it's in an upright position. And the position in which Jesus is now, he cannot breathe. He has to pull up against the spikes in his wrist and push up against the spikes in his feet just to take a breath. He falls back down when he can't stand any longer. Push up and pull up for a second breath. Crucifixion was excruciating. You've heard the word, English word excruciating, haven't you? What word usually follows that word? Pain. Do you know what the word excruciating literally means? comes from two Latin words, ex, ex, which means cr from, crucis, which means cross. The word excruciating simply means, literally, from the cross. I'm saying this. A crucifixion was such a painful death, such an agonizing death, that we now use the word from the cross to describe the worst pain that human beings can experience. I'm saying this. The love of my Savior was what, what kept him on the cross as he prepared to die for me that I might be forgiven. He was suffering tremendously. But here came the worst part of all. God, his Father up in heaven, took my sins. Not only mine, but yours and yours, and the sins of the whole world. Every lie we've ever told was placed on Jesus who never lied one time. Every time we've ever stolen was placed on Jesus who never stole one time. Every dirty word, every cuss word, every, every, every evil thing we've ever said was placed on Jesus who never blasphemed one time. And God, his Father up in heaven, 
reaches down right around noon and turns out the lights. Look at as dark as the darkest night. And I believe that God, his father, turned his back on Jesus. And Jesus in agony screams out, My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? My forgiveness cost Jesus that much. If you're here tonight and there's somebody that you cannot forgive, I beg you to get alone with the Lord and go to the last couple of chapters of the book of Matthew and sit down and slowly read through the story of Calvary and visualize what's happening to Jesus, Jesus there. Go to Mark and do the same thing. Luke and do the same thing, and especially John 19 and 20. And read the story of Calvary in John 19 and 20 and visualize what Jesus is enduring for you that you might be forgiven. Then I challenge you to look at the face of God and say, God, I, I still can't forgive. If you're here tonight and you cannot forgive, and by the way, let me say this. We've all been hurt, amen? Some of you have some horrible ones in your past. That, uh, bad things happen, and please do not blame those things upon the God who loves you. You blame those in the devil who caused those. But we've all been hurt in the past. Some of us very deeply, some very, very superficially perhaps. But I'm just saying this. No matter what's your past and how many times you've been hurt, you and I are commanded to forgive. And if you can't forgive, go to Calvary and give that thing to this Lord Jesus who died that you might be forgiven. The K stands for kindness. The F stands for forgiveness. The C might be a little harder to find. Read the verse one more time if you would. And be ye kind one to another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, hath forgiven you. You say, Brother Ed, I see the K. That would be the kindness. I see the F. That's forgiveness. But I don't see the C. Well, the word is tender-hearted. You say, that doesn't start with C. The Greek word there in the text is eustrankos. Eustrankos means well-compassioned. It's the idea of an athlete uh, doing a particular set of muscle exercises to develop a particular muscle group. God says, I want you to develop a sense of compassion. We could use the word concern. We could use the word caring. They're all C words, but the C stands for, say it with me, compassion. Your pastor, I'm sure, has taught you to have compassion on the lost. Your pastor, I'm sure, has taught you to have compassion on the lost world and you have a missions program in place and you're sending missionaries and sending dollars and maybe perhaps even going on missions trips and trying to reach the heathen with the gospel. And we've been taught to have compassion on those people. But I want to challenge you tonight to have compassion right here in your church family and your brothers and sisters in the Lord. I want to challenge you to have compassion on your kids, your family, your wife. If you're like the average guy, if you're like me, you get home in the evening, you pull into the driveway, turn off the, turn off the ignition, grab your briefcase, walk into the house. It's been a tough day. The boss was on your, on your case all day. The customers were rude. You didn't make a single sale. It's just been one of those days. And all you want to do is just get in the house and jump in your recliner and kick back and chill out. This is my time. I'm tired. Leave me alone. Maybe check your emails and check the sports cars and then just zone out. Get, get out of my face. Leave me alone for a while. You walk into the house. There's that little five-year-old daughter. Daddy's home. And she rushes up and, Daddy, play with me. What's the classic answer, guys? Not now. Daddy's tired. And without meaning to, as you brush that little girl aside, you break her heart again. You walk in the kitchen, your wife's at the range of the stove there, she's cooking supper. Hey, sweetheart, I'm home. You drop her briefcase on the floor and just pass through. Don't even bother really to stop and touch that little lady. Just, hey, honey, I'm home. And you're on your way to the den. Get out of my way. 
Your junior high son comes up with the algebra book. Dad, I've been on this problem for half an hour. I don't know what to do. Can you help me? And guys, what's the classic answer? Go ask your mom. And we go through life brushing people aside, not realizing that these people have tremendous needs that God has equipped us to meet if we'd stop and have a sense of compassion toward those people. Tomorrow evening when you get home and you shut off the ignition, sir, would you bow your head there in the car and say, Lord, it's been a tough day. But I'm about to come face to face with the dearest people in this world to me. Oh, Holy Spirit, fill me right now. Help me as I get home, even though I'm tired and discouraged, to somehow be able to minister to my wife and my kids. And Lord, fill me in. As you walk into the house, and that little girl comes up, Daddy's home. Sir, set the briefcase down. Take five minutes. Sit on the stairs and play a house with that little lady and make her day. It's within your power to do that. You walk into the kitchen. There's your wife at the stove. And run up behind her and drop the briefcase and give her a hug. Then knock the breath out of her for a moment there. And just say, hey, sweetheart, turn off the range. Put that thing to the side. Let's take a walk just for 10 minutes. And you can tell me about your day. And hand in hand, just walk through the neighborhood and hold hands with that little lady. And just give her a part of your heart. You walk into the house with your wife, and here comes your son. Dad, would you help me with this? And you say, son, it's been 25 years. I don't remember this stuff. Please, Dad. And help that guy with the, with the uh, homework, with the, with the algebra. Maybe he gets a zero tomorrow because you helped him. You did the right thing. <laughs> We run through life so many times, especially men, go through life just brushing people aside, and we have not developed that sense of compassion that God wants us to have. I challenge you in this matter tonight with the KFC to show kindness, to show forgiveness, to show compassion to the people around you, but in particular, focus that on the members of your family here, your brothers and sisters in the Lord. As my wife was getting ready to go home, and she battled cancer for four years, the last few months of her life, I came home. I canceled my meetings one at a time, just one week at a time. And I stayed home and did nothing except take care of her. And to be honest, that was the best seven months of our marriage. Because there was nothing else on the agenda except each other. And I'd take her for wheelchair walks. She got to the place where she couldn't walk. Very, she had no energy, had no strength. And we'd go through the neighborhood time after time, day after day, several times a day and at night, and just taking walks. And there came that one magic day. I said, sweetheart, let's try the bikes again, because we're bikers and hikers. And, and, uh, and so we got off the bike, and she rode, uh, uh, I don't remember, she rode like um, a little less than a mile, 0.87 of a mile, that's what it was, 0.87 miles, and went back to the house. The next day she rode, she rode almost two miles. And before long, she's riding four miles every morning, four miles in the evening. And boy, we're just really excited, and she's doing well. And then it came that evening where we tried to ride, and she rode about 200 yards. She said, Ed, I can't do this anymore. And we went back to the house, and we're back to the wheelchair. But for seven months, as an evangelist, my meetings were canceled. On the weeks that we're home, there's not an income. On the weeks that are on the road, then there's a love offering or an honorary. I mean, that's how we, how we make our living, support our family. I mean, and so for seven months, there was no income. We were spending $1,100 a week on cancer treatments and insurance was not even looking at. And during that period of our life, those seven months, I actually gave away more money than I ever had before in my life. You know how? Every day I'd go to the mailbox and my heart would start pounding. Because I'd open the mailbox, sure, there were the bills and there were the, the junk mail, all the stuff we don't want to see. 
But every day there'd be two or three or four letters, and I'd look at the return addresses and think, I don't know this person. Look at the city. I've been reading preaching this. I don't even know where this. Where, where's Hillsdale, West Virginia? I don't even know. These are people I didn't even know. But I would open the envelope. There'd be a card. We're praying for you and praying for your wife, and there'd be a check. Two hundred dollars, or fifty dollars, or five hundred dollars. And God, my Father, was meeting my needs during that difficult, difficult time. And if I didn't learn anything during that time, I learned that my Heavenly Father knows my needs. The lost neighbor from across the street came and mowed my grass every week and didn't charge me a dime. He said, let me just help you with this. He and his wife stopped at the door one day, knocked on the door and opened the door, and he said, I know you're going through some difficult times. We have some extra. And my lost neighbor opened his hand, and there he had five $100 bills. When a man in your church loses his job and there's some needs there and you know about those, sure, walk up and shake his hand and say, we're going to be praying for you, brother. But so many times that simply means be ye warmed and filled, doesn't it? What is wrong with going to your IRA account and taking out $1,000 and giving it to that brother to help him through a difficult time? Because we care. May I remind you we're brothers and sisters in this same family, aren't we? And I'll tell you what, folks, I can promise you this, based on the word of God and from personal experience, when you meet a brother's need, when you sacrifice to meet a brother's need, if you're short because you sacrificed, your heavenly Father knows all about that. And Luke 6.38, given it shall be given unto you, is not just talking about the offerings in your church ministry. It's talking about the times when you give to a brother. You give to a brother, and your father's going to meet your needs. I saw it so many times during that seven months. I'm saying this, let's live out our faith. Let's ask God to give us a sense of compassion where we care to the point where we're willing to sacrifice to meet a brother's needs. The KFC, K stands for kindness, F stands for forgiveness, C stands for compassion. And again, I would challenge you to ask God to help you to show, show that to every person with whom you come in contact, but again, especially your brothers and sisters in the Lord. And in particular, your own family, and especially, gentlemen, directing that KFC toward your wife more than anybody else. Would you take a challenge? We're about halfway through February, slightly more than halfway through February, which means there's ten and a half months left in the year. I wonder if you'd be willing to take a challenge, say for the next ten and a half months, just through the rest of 2013, if Jesus doesn't come soon, before the end of the year. For ten and a half months, I'm going to ask God to so fill me with the Holy Spirit of God that I'll be characterized by kindness, forgiveness, and compassion to people with whom I come in contact, but I'm saving the best of the best to my family and especially to my wife. Would you men be willing to take that challenge? You see, Brother Ed, I don't think I can do that. You're right. The Holy Spirit can do it through you if you're willing to submit to Him. Would you ladies take that same challenge for the next ten and a half months? I want to close by sharing a poem. When my wife was battling cancer, and shortly after she'd gone to be with the Lord, a boy, a 10-year-old boy in another state sent me a letter. He didn't realize that Jan had gone home. And she said, he said, would you share this with your wife? It's been a blessing to our family. And he sent a letter and sent this, this poem. Now, this is not written by a professional writer. The meter is wrong in some places. Some of the rhyme, lines don't really rhyme correctly. But there's a message here. It's called, If I Knew. If I knew, it would be the last time that I would see you fall asleep. I would tuck you in more tightly and pray the Lord your soul to keep. If I knew it would be the last time that I would see you walk out the door, I would give you a hug and a kiss and call you back for one more. If I knew it would be the last time I'd hear your voice lifted up in praise, I would videotape each action and word so I could play them back day after day. 
If I knew it would be the last time I could spare an extra minute to stop and say, I love you, instead of assuming you know I do. If I knew it would be the last time I'd be there to share your day, well, I'm sure you'll have so many more, so I can let this one just slip away. For sure, there's always tomorrow to make up for an oversight. We always get a second chance to make everything just right. There will always be another day to say I love you, and certainly there's another chance to see anything I can do. But just in case I might be wrong, and today is all I get, I'd like to say how much I love you, and I hope we never forget. Tomorrow's not promised to anyone, young or old alike, and today may be the last chance you get to hold your loved one tight. So if you're waiting for tomorrow, why not do it today? For if tomorrow never comes, you'll surely regret the day that you didn't take that extra time for a smile, a hug, or a kiss, and you're too busy to grant someone what turned out to be their one last wish. So hold your loved ones close today and whisper in their ear. Tell them how much you love them, that you'll always hold them dear. Take time to say, I'm sorry, please forgive me, thank you, or it's okay. And if tomorrow never comes, you'll have no regrets about today. I lost my wife, Janice. My heart was torn out. A few months later, I was in Southern California doing a meeting. Newport Beach. Sitting on a Wednesday afternoon, just waiting for a pastor to take me to lunch. A little lady came walking by and introduced herself. We threw up a conversation for about five minutes, and she went her way. Had lunch with the pastor, and I said, who was that lady? Got her email address, started emailing, met her phone number, and then Skyping, and God in his goodness gave me a little lady named Elma. And folks, when you've been through the valley of shadow death and seen a loved one leave, you get a second chance. You realize that life is lived just one day at a time. If Elma and I only have tomorrow together, I want to make sure that tomorrow is the best day of her life. There's no time for unkind words. There's no time for selfishness here. And you can only do that, really, with the power of the Holy Spirit of God living through you. Because we are human beings. We have a selfish nature, don't we? But by God's grace and with the power of the Holy Spirit, you can live that life. I thank God every day for that he put this little lady in my life. I'm going to try to show her some KFC. Would you bow your heads? I want to ask you men, how many of you tonight would say, Brother Ed, I'll take the KFC challenge, and it's a difficult one, I realize. Would you say for ten and a half months, for the rest of this year, I will show kindness, forgiveness, and compassion to my wife in particular, to everyone around me, but especially my wife or my husband. If you make that challenge, would you just simply bow before the Lord and ask for His grace, His strength, and His power to do that? It'll change your life. I wonder how many young people might say, I want to be a KFC person. I show that to my parents. I know my parents are having a difficult time, and God can use me to be an encouragement to them. I want to be a KFC young person. Would you take that same challenge? And I will turn this service over to your pastor and let him come to take the service when he's ready, if he would.